Good morning and welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and on the NSN app. And had it planned an Israel-focused show this week uh, because we don't yet uh, have a new government. But, of course, the events have overtaken us as the political world. And uh, I thought it would be fortunate uh, to have our good friend, good friend of the show, Ari Harrow, former chief of staff, for Prime Minister Netanyahu, expert in politics and the Israeli government, the Israeli environment, in light of what's going on. And, of course, I think we have to start uh, with our thoughts and prayers and our uh, just uh, to feel out for everybody who's been uh, injured and killed uh, in the conflagration that has gone on. And just I think – I know some were taken by surprise. I certainly was taken by surprise. I think any American Jews are taken by surprise of what's going on in the intensity of the conflict that had came about. Right now, we almost thought we were kind of past this type of thing. Um, so uh, let's let's have that moment as I welcome Ari Harrow back to the show. Thanks for joining us to uh, enlighten the audience about what's going on in the Holy Land right now. Thank you, Michael. It's always great to see you, uh, even under these unfortunate circumstances. Okay, so Ari, I'm going to ask you for some context here. And in light of all that's going on, I think, well, the first question, of course, is this nothing takes place in a vacuum. And I think part of this, of course, uh, can be related to the fact that the Palestinian elections were canceled. Uh, that, of course, was canceled not by Israel, but canceled by the Palestinian Authority. But you also had these, this, I guess, buildup, I would say, over the last couple of weeks, with Ramadan coinciding with some issues on the Israeli side, uh, as well as Yom Yerushalayim, uh, a Supreme Court decision with regard to the neighborhood of Shimon Tzadik or Sheikh Jarrah, depending on your perspective, uh, depending on which sign you look at in uh, when coming into the neighborhood. And of course, I remember that neighborhood being right across, essentially across the street from uh, where I used to live for several years. Uh, so, Ari, uh, give us some context uh, for the American Jewish audience, for those that are deeply pained by what is going on. What is going on from your perspective, from a, gov- from a guy who knows the inside of Israel's government? Well, Israel is facing a tremendous challenge um, right now that, um, you know, th- there still is hope definitely amongst, you know, the citizens of Israel that somehow this is a short term incident that sort of uh, dissipates over the next few days. Unfortunately, it, it doesn't look that way. Um, and as you rightly mentioned, there, there really is many, many different um, uh, issues that have co- come to light over the last few days and over the last few weeks that may have sort of led to uh, the situation as it is now. But I can tell you that the Palestinian uh, terror groups, Hamas, and uh, the Islamic Jihad and others that control Gaza um, are very, very strategic um, in their uh, actions and in their thinking. And um, they are not the types of groups that just respond to this or that, um, you know, small incident. Rather, this is something that has been planned and has been built up over time. And they use current events as a trigger to justify it from a public uh, relations perspective, but that, generally speaking, is not in tune with uh, the strategic uh, thought process, military thought process that's going on there. 
Um, what we face today is really definitely unprecedented in the last few decades and, um, and uh, maybe beyond. Uh, seeing, an in, uh, uh, let's call it a, a threat from without, uh, obviously Gaza is very close geographically and uh, very near um, Israel, uh, but at the same time, it's across the border. Um, and the rioting uh, and violence that we're seeing inside Israel uh, from the Israeli Arabs. And it's an extremely difficult challenge militarily. It's an extremely difficult challenge politically. Uh, and it's an extremely difficult challenge from a, from a PR perspective when it comes to the international community. So I do not, um, you know, I, I, I think it's definitely... Uh, something that the, the leadership of Israel needs all of our support in, in standing up to these various threats. Uh, these are very difficult days, very difficult times, and I think that we're going to have some even more even more difficult times ahead of us in the coming days and possibly weeks. So you said so much there. There's there's just so much we need to, I guess, pinpoint. I mean, there's what's going on in Gaza with. Uh, I don't like to call it a border, but essentially, okay, there's a border there. You know, Israel doesn't control Gaza. You have a foreign government uh, kind of raining rockets on your capital city, on your population centers. That can't go unanswered. I mean, there is no country out there that would not answer that. And you know, we've seen in the past the only way to answer that is with a significant show of force. Uh, you already see that uh, the Hamas is looking to Russia and others to impose a ceasefire. So clearly they've done what they need to do. And at the same time, you have this internal problem with these with mixed cities where a little bit of a Arab uprising. And on top of that, we have the lack of a government or the fact that there may have been a government this week. Uh, that clearly seems to be on hold. I, is there an element of the Ra'am party that was potentially going to come in and now they're not coming in? That would have been unprecedented. Uh, you have that. And then the larger issue, of course, the, the PA elections. So we'll throw the – or I'm sorry, the lack of Palestinian elections and to the right. degree to which there's that that rivalry, that eternal rivalry to Hamas and the Palestinian Authority uh, and how that plays out in their own interaction with, uh, with Israel. On top of that, we have a whole different situation that we haven't had in the past. I would throw at you. This is like question number five, Ari. Uh, is Israel has Israel has new peace agreements with some of these Gulf states, and is there more or less pressure on Israel with regard to those new relationships with Bahrain and the Emirates and others that are potential peace agreements that now potentially jeopardize, or are a lot of the Gulf? States and all the Arab states kind of sick of this endless round of Hamas and see that as an Iranian proxy. So, uh, okay, that's six or seven questions, but but let's start with the fact that this can't go unanswered. And how will right. Israel do so? Right. Well, um, firstly, in your list of questions, uh, you know, add on number whatever it was, eight or nine, uh, the Iranian uh, nuclear negotiations that are going on now, which tie in very intimately to. Basically, everything that you were talking about, um, you know, the, the Iran uh, issue is in the in the shadows, if not in the forefront. Um, so getting back to your first question, which really was, you know, this can't go unanswered. Um, 
since Israel withdrew from uh, from Gaza, uh, you know, quite some time ago, decade and a half ago, um, this was a problem that many on the right foresaw coming. Um, many of us um, warned about, and when it did come to pass, um, the lack of uh, significant response and the lack of a true um, plan to deal with, you know, the issue uh, called Gaza um, was highlighted. Um, this uh, may or may not develop into a longer uh, and more, um, I'd say, deep operation. Uh, and if it does, it would be the fourth such operation in Gaza since Israel withdrew. Um, but ultimately, one thing is very clear to the military, and it's very clear to Israeli leadership. And that is to truly deal with the security risks, to, to truly deal with the problem of rockets and tunnels and um, RPGs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the Israeli forces will have to go into Gaza and uproot uh, the terrorists. Now, uh, that is a very, very, very difficult task. It's a very difficult decision for any leadership to take. Um, because it's not really clear, to be quite frank with you, what the end game would be. So even if you did go in and uproot, quote unquote, the terror infrastructure, what happens the day after that? Do you pull back out? Do you remain there as a, you know, as a military with a military presence? If you do, then you're, you know, you're sort of dragged back into, you know, the, the, the Lebanon um, uh, problem that we had. And there, there is no simple answer. But having said that, uh, you also cannot, and this is the point you made earlier, you cannot ignore the fact that the majority of the state of Israel, millions and millions of citizens have, are running for their lives, um, you know, nonstop for the last 48 hours as missiles rain all over the country. F families, children, my children are sleeping in bomb shelters uh, in order to, uh, you know, avoid any any risk of, uh, of death. And some of the casualties that we've seen have been uh, families that were in their bomb shelters and somehow uh, shrapnel and, and missiles have, have penetrated and, and people are injured. There's a six-year-old boy uh, that was just announced a couple hours ago who was hit um, while inside his bomb shelter, inside his protective room. So this is a sig significant challenge. It's a serious issue that the military is going to have to deal with and um, and I believe that the time has come, and I think that the leadership feels that way as well. And this ties into the political discussion, which we can talk about afterwards. I think that there will be a more significant response here than just you know bombing from the air for a few days and pulling back. But it does remain to be seen. Um, so I think that that was your first question. Um, where do you want to go from there? Well, I, I think that, once you've, I, I, I guess I would want to follow up with that is yeah. why do you believe, and let's just assume that Hamas has not been willing to go as far in the past as they have this time? Clearly. I mean, they have crossed a line. Whatever line that is, I believe they crossed the line so many times beforehand. I'm sure you do as well. I'm sure the listeners out there don't believe that. But clearly, this is far and away an escalation, an escalation beyond an esca beyond the escalations that they've had in the past. Um, and 
it's uh, it's something. Now, where now was this obviously a pretext, or I would say, was this a pretext? Uh, did they use what happened in Yerushalayim as the pretext? And why, you know, why, you know, why now? How? Why was this? And was this? And why was this not anticipated uh, right. by the Israel's military and intelligence establishment? So, firstly, it was anticipated. Um, I can tell you that the military chief of staff, Aviv Kochavi, has been speaking of uh, the possibility of this type of outbreak uh, for for a number of months now. Um, if you go back, I mean, it was it was it never, or I should say, it rarely caught the headlines. Um, but it is something that the military has been warning about for quite some time, and. I, if you combine it with the various other things that you know we referred to earlier, that you referred to, uh, whether it's you know the domestic issues around Yerushalayim, around, around Sheikh Jarrah, and other places, um, if it you know the Iranian uh, nuclear negotiations that are taking place, the rise of centrality um, within the political system of the Arab parties, the, the Muslim, you know the, the Israeli Arab parties who were on the verge, you know, we can get into the political talk afterwards, but they were on the verge of, you know, signing an agreement and taking an active role in the Israeli government. Um, those are all um, reasons enough to, um, for the Hamas to you know, launch its, its attack um, that had been in the waiting in any event. Um, as far as crossing the line, I think that the missiles that are raining all over Tel Aviv, that rained around Jerusalem and, and cities all over the country, um, we have seen before. We saw it in 20, in the summer of 2014 with the last war in Gaza. Um, you know, at the time, I was chief of staff to Prime Minister Netanyahu. We spent 50 days um, in, in uh, the Kiryat headquarters dealing with this, uh, and it was a real war. And at the time, missiles were falling on Tel Aviv and, and elsewhere as well. I think that what's changed since 2014. I mean, you're talking about um, you're talking about almost seven full years later. Um, is that their capabilities have improved? Um, I think ours have as well. Um, but you see from the way they go about shooting off their missiles that it's generally not one or two or five or ten. They're shooting hundreds at a time uh, at uh, designated locations making it as difficult as possible for Israeli um, defense systems, Iron Dome and, and others, uh, to, to knock everything out of the sky. The Iron Dome has done a fantastic job. Um, they're, they're, the number of casualties uh, could be much, much, much higher. I think the Israeli population has done a fantastic job listening and following uh, orders and, and, and you know, spending their time in protected areas. Um, but this is a war, and Hamas is an internationally recognized terrorist organization that is using everything in their power to, you know, to wreak havoc and destruction on the state of Israel. We're talking to Ari Harrow here on Spin Class, former chief of staff to Prime Minister Netanyahu. So, Ari, let's talk about the political situation in Israel. Uh, as uh, we all know, the uh, Likud uh, with uh, Netanyahu at the helm failed to form a coalition that was then given to Yair Lapid. It might have happened together with Naftali Bennett. We don't know. I mean, it was rumored that it might be possible that they would form, I guess, what would be known as an anti-Bibi or change government. 
uh, and that would have happened potentially in the coming days. That seems certainly seems to be on the shelf, at least for the immediate future. Uh, Israel somehow seems to function even without a government, or at least, uh, and you know, seems to be able to get everybody vaccinated, seems to be able to function. But talk for us a second, those who don't really understand this idea of not having a government. Americans don't, you know, we have our own issues with regard to elections, but the government seems to endure or acceptance of elections or election. What we'll leave that aside for now. Right. How does that play into this political? The, how does the sure. political uncertainty play into the response here? And will we see everybody kind of coalescing in a national security uh, sense in uh, rallying to to the country? Or will we see uh, more political splintering potentially? Would this lead uh, to a fifth election and to more uh, political uncertainty? Right. Um, wow. Well, you know, great questions. And it, it's really um, it, it definitely is not uh, a simple issue, definitely for those uh, who are not familiar with the intricacies of the Israeli political system. Um, well, if you've listened to this show, you've heard a lot over the last couple of months. So right, uh, hopefully, right. hopefully you'll go back to past shows. So give us the not the expert version, but the advanced okay. version. So, I mean, I'll get into the specifics of what's happening now. Just in one line, the reason that, uh, you know, it's not that there is not a government. There is what's considered a transitional government, which in essence is the previous government just continues functioning. But their ability to implement certain um legislation, certain policies, budgetary uh, decisions uh, are limited. And therefore, um, their ability to act on certain needs of, of the population are limited. And that's where uh, it, it creates problems for the average citizen. But ultimately, you do have, you know, Minister of Defense, you do have a Prime Minister, a Minister of Health, uh, and so on and so forth. So there is a functioning government. Um, as far as how this affects uh, the current reality. You know, it's funny, you remind me, I, I, I got a phone call um, a number of years ago um, by a, a senior uh, figure in the Obama administration. And he called me just, you know, friendly phone call and wanted to hear my thoughts on what was happening. Um, and I said to him, you know, if there's one lesson that I learned in politics many years ago, is that I don't know anything. That's the lesson that I learned. Um, you know, you think that something is a done deal. You think that there's a certain reality. And really, you know, Kahara fine. And in, in a second, the world turns on you and that reality is, is gone. Netanyahu, just a few days ago, lost the mandate to form uh, a government. It was handed over, as you recalled, to Lapid. And um, the formation of a Bennett Lapid government was, by all accounts, and including people who know, I happen to be very close friends with one of the lead uh, negotiators. It was a done deal. Uh, it was a done deal. It was a matter of literally 24 to 48 hours uh, before they moved forward. Netanyahu's only hope um, going into those few days of Lapid-Bennett negotiations was that somehow it fails and, and we go to a fifth election. That was, you know, his only uh, exit point uh, at, at, that, uh, at, at that point. And um, everybody assumed that, you know, that's where we were headed. And lo and behold, we find ourselves in a security crisis. We find ourselves at the beginning of what may become a, a full-out war with Gaza. 
uh, definitely a significant challenge within the borders of Israel. And it has changed reality, uh, you know, in, a, in, in one fell swoop. Uh, it changes the reality on two different fronts. Number one, and you referred to this e earlier, uh, the Israeli party, Ram, um, was the linchpin to any uh, such government. Neither side, not Netanyahu's uh, attempt to form a government, nor Lapid and Bennett's, could progress without the support of Ram. You now have a scenario, you now have a situation where the Israeli Arabs are very vocally and very publicly um, distancing themselves from Israel. They're enacting terrible acts of violence. They're clashing with policemen, with soldiers, and with Israeli civilians. And for somebody the likes of Naftali Bennett or the other part, right-wing party in that, in that new coalition, Gidon Saar, to join a government that is supported by a party that is openly and actively taking part in these demonstrations, um, I think would be uh, extremely unlikely. I cannot see them, uh, unless this somehow ends in the next 24 to 48 hours, and that gives them a little bit more time to you know, let, uh, let things subside. I think the chances are at this point that them forming the government together is highly unlikely. So then where does that leave us? It leaves us back to one of two scenarios. One is the question or the statement that you just made about some type of you know, emergency security government, um, which although unlikely could potentially happen, I could see something like that taking place for a very limited amount of time. It could be for three months even, where you have Benny Gantz, who is part of this uh, transitional government, remains in the defense, minist defense ministry, some of the right-wing parties come in, uh, some of the Zionist parties as they call themselves, maybe even the Lapid. Um, come, comes in for just for three months so that the people of Israel can, sh um, can, can see a show of unity, uh, can act in unison to deal with these significant challenges, uh, and then we go to an election. So that is one scenario. Um, the other scenario is that there is no agreement on anything, and we do head to a fifth election. Um, what this means for Netanyahu is that suddenly, you know, his his window, which was on the verge of completely closing, has now reopened just a bit and gives him a little bit more life. Um, I think that the thing that we really have to monitor uh, from a political perspective is really how do things play out in the next 48 hours or so. Um, we're down to about three weeks for this coalition uh, attempt uh, to be made. Um, then Lapid's um, you know, Lapid's window uh, that the president gave him closes. And I think that if we see continued violence over this weekend into Shavuot and into next week, then it's, it's just going, there's just not going to be enough time to calm, uh, to calm the people, to lower the flames and to bring everybody under one tent. In that scenario, uh, we'll be back to the two options that I just mentioned. So how, based on what you said earlier about the fact that we can't, that Israel can't not retaliate and we yeah. can't, or at least we agree on that. I said it first, you agreed with me. And the idea that we want to calm things and go back to the reduction of violence, how can you reconcile those two issues? Um, well, you know, I, I don't want to accuse anyone 
of having political interests when it comes to the security and safety of the people of Israel. But it's, you know, for any politician anywhere in the world, it is in the back of your mind. Um, and I think that when you couple that with a deep-seated understanding amongst the security apparatuses that the Gaza problem is a problem that needs to be dealt with in a more significant fashion, um, I think the chances of this coming to a quick uh, ending is unlikely. It's possible, but it is unlikely. Um, the domestic front is of more concern because, as you mentioned earlier, many of these incidents are taking place in mixed cities. By the way, it's not just mixed cities. There have been terrorist attacks. There was an attempted terrorist, I mean, a terrorist attack in Hadera a few hours ago. Uh, there was an attack in Ariel a few days ago at the Tapuach Junction, um, and so on and so forth. There's been various attacks in other areas as well. And I think that it's always difficult for any country to try and fight or to try and deal with challenges on two different fronts. You want to be able to focus all your efforts in one area when you have the types of challenges that we're facing. So there will be an there will be an attempt on behalf on on the leadership side to engage the Arab leaders um, and try and get them to lower the flames with the hope that we can then focus on Gaza and deal with it properly. But if the two of these continue to escalate, I don't think there's going to be a choice and this will take quite some time. Okay, as we run out of time here, because there's, there's just so much to talk about, uh, talk to the listener a little bit about the Israeli police. And, you know, it's a national police force. It's a little bit different than our local police here in the U.S. We have different uh, police forces. And so much has been written in the last uh, day or two with regard to what's happened in Lod and Ramla and Yafo and other mixed cities, Akko, where the police just don't come, apparently. I, I don't know if that's accurate, but maybe that you can enlighten us. I, I, it's just such a shocking idea that you would call 911 equivalent and nobody shows up. Now, right. obviously, there's a lot of things going on, but the idea that nobody shows up is is kind of a foreign idea. Um, in fact, many people in the U.S. are kind of this idea that the police show up a little bit too much. Uh, I, I don't subscribe to that. But. Right, right. Um, yeah, I, I think that, uh, well, firstly, hopefully we start to see a change in load uh, in the next, you know, in, in, the, in the coming hours and days. They have uh, brought in uh, border patrol, uh, which falls under the police, uh, the Magav units. Uh, they're, you know, uh, uh, a military unit under the police that will be roaming the cities of Lod in the, in the coming days, and hopefully that brings a change. But there's no question that um, the police, well, you know, let me give them the benefit of the doubt on the one hand, that they are dealing with significant challenges all over the country. On the one hand, they are the force that responds every time a missile uh, lands in Israel. When a missile hits a building, it's the police that respond and you know clear the area and look for survivors or look for wounded. And they are responsible for, uh, for dealing with that. So when you have hundreds of missiles falling around the country, they're spread out all over there. Um, you have the significant challenges that were, that were and are taking place in Jerusalem. And now you have them, you know, uh, sporadically uh, throughout the country. So it's, they're definitely spread thin, and it's definitely a challenging time for them. Having said that, I will agree with you that, you know, this is not the first uh, or last time that the police 
have come under fire in Israel and definitely over the last few months. Um, and uh, for many, many reasons, uh, which uh, you know, we're not gonna have time to get into now, um, there, there, there is uh, definitely a need for a significant and serious um, assessment of the policing uh, um, efforts, let's call it, in Israel. You know, there was no um, permanent chief of police up until a couple months ago uh, for, for about two years. Uh, similar to what you were saying earlier about the lack of you know, function that we saw in this interim government, the same was true specifically within the police. They were functioning under an interim chief of police who did not have the mandate or the uh, ability to implement significant reforms and change, et cetera. Uh, there is a new chief of police who came into office about two months ago. The hope is there that he will uh, he will change things, but in the immediate uh, with immediate challenges, uh, they're going to have to do more and they're going to have to do a better job. Uh, and at the same time, we're going to have to recognize that they are spread thin and it's a difficult time for everyone. Okay, Ari, thirty seconds or less. Do the Abraham Accords survive this uh, this incident here? I think that they do. I think that um, you know the the interests of the participants in the accord and of Israel are much greater than this or that incident. I think that there is regional uh, you know concerns. Obviously, we we mentioned very briefly before Iran and the, and the Iranian uh, threats. I think that the economic benefits to both sides are tremendous, and it's something that you know there was this wave of of uh, publicity at the beginning. Um, which has sort of uh, simmered down, but there's still a tremendous amount of development going on on the business front. And I think that definitely for the foreseeable future, we're going to we're going to continue to see uh, the strengthening of the of ties on on that front. Okay, so we didn't get to get into the Iranian role and the seizure this week of massive amount of arms from Iran that were headed towards Yemen and. Who knows what role the Iranians, what malicious intent they had in fomenting this. Uh, But we're going to have to leave that. Ari Harrow, thanks for joining us here on Spin Class, enlightening us with this uh, insider's insight uh, to what's going on in the Holy Land. And uh, we hope to have you back soon. Thanks, Michael. All the best. That's it for this week here on Spin Class. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Joseph. See you next week.